0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the podcast. Today, we are digging into housing and the pro-housing movement. Some of the folks who uh, want more housing in New York City and have ideas and plans for how to make it happen, along with some reflections on some really big recent news on this topic as new york city has uh, moved ahead with the gowanus neighborhood plan the soho noho rezoning is moving through the city council and there are other things happening at the city and state levels around housing in new york a new mayor about to take office of course eric adams we're going to talk a little bit today about his ideas for housing and plans that he's supported what the outlook is around that and then of course there's a lot of controversy around housing development, and we want to talk about what some of the issues are, some of the, um, some of the myths, some of the realities, and a lot more. And of course, a lot of this often comes back to not just policy, not just community buy-in, but also funding. So we want to get into some of that as well. I'm very excited to be joined today by two great guests to talk about housing in New York City. Rachel Fee is Executive Director of the New York Housing Conference, and John Sanchez is district manager of Bronx Community Board 6 and a board member of Open New York, which is a pro-housing group that has uh, sprung up in the last couple of years here and really is um, you know, trying to have an imprint on the discussions in New York City and seems to be involved a lot in those conversations. And Rachel and her group have, of course, been doing that for quite a while. Rachel, John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Just real quick before we jump into this conversation with Rachel Fee and John Sanchez, uh, if you've missed any recent episodes of Max Politics, please do find them wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. We've had a whole bunch of interesting discussions on a wide range of topics, highlighted in recent weeks and months by some in-depth conversations with all seven candidates for New York City Council Speaker. As we are talking here on Uh, December 14th, uh, it looks like that council speaker race is down to two, and those final two candidates, Adrian Adams and Francisco Moya, are both declaring victory in the race. So we're talking here and recording this conversation uh, with a lot up in the air in the future of New York politics. By the time some of you are listening to this, it may be decided. We shall see, Uh, but such is the news and New York politics but I've had conversations in recent weeks and months with both Adrian Adams and Francisco Moya, as well as the five other candidates who are seeking the speakership. uh, And just about all of them at this point have uh, bowed out. But uh, those conversations you can find at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site. Also in recent weeks, a really interesting discussion with Michael Mulgrew, the president of the United Federation of Teachers, reflecting on where things stand In this city school year, both in terms of things related to academics, student uh, emotional and psychological well-being in the classroom, uh, and of course things related to COVID testing, vaccines, uh, and much more, and then the teachers union reflections on the de Blasio years a little bit, but also looking ahead to the mayoralty of Eric Adams. So check out that conversation if you're interested. All right. Uh, A lot of other recent guests uh, on the podcast, but you can find those um, wherever you'd like. If you're interested, let's dig in here. So Rachel, um, say a little bit first, and then we'll come to you, John, on the same topic. But when we talk about housing in New York City, assess where we're at. What's the broadly speaking? What's the sort of housing picture, um, and and what are the the highlights and the lowlights from your vantage point in terms of where we sit right now in December 2021? Uh, We've obviously had a new governor take over. We're about to have a new mayor of New York City. Uh, Where where do things stand right now, Rachel?
2: Well, Ben, you know that we have had an affordable housing crisis in New York for years, um, and You know, I think that now that we are grappling with a pandemic, which is very slow to leave um, our city, um, it's just really clear how important affordable housing is, how important a home is. And when I kind of think about the major issues in that New York is facing on the housing front, I really think about preserving public housing. I think about expanding supply of affordable housing, and I also think about our homelessness crisis and really a better. Um, coordination of policy between our housing plan and solving our our homeless crisis. So um, that's kind of, you know, the vantage point from where I'm sitting. And I also think we're kind of at a moment where we really have um, buy in that from city, state and federal that we want to start addressing this crisis. We wanna invest in housing, that it is a priority. And I think electeds at each level of government have heard it from their constituents and really it's resonating. So I think we're at an exciting moment with a new mayor coming on board, um, a governor who we expect is going to uh, release a new housing plan. And we also have the first president in the White House that had a campaign with an actual housing plan. And um, we have $150 billion you know, sitting in in the Build Back Better Act in Washington. Hopefully it advances. So I think we're at a moment where we can really see things um, come together and really on the cusp of major investment.
0: And before we come to John Sanchez, Rachel Fee of, of New York Housing Conference, just say a little bit about your organization and how it fits into that picture and what you do.
2: So, New York Housing Conference is an affordable housing policy and advocacy organization. And, you know, we really think about housing solutions um, at the city, state, and federal level. Um, We've been doing a lot of Analysis and advocacy on federal housing policy because there is such a great opportunity with this investment of in infrastructure and now this um, you know kind of social investment that we are looking at with the Build Back Better Act. Um, we're also running a coalition for uh, fighting for a new five-year statewide housing plan, and we recently put together um, a ninety-plus organization <laughs> coalition um, called United for Housing, and we really laid out a framework for investment for new york city's next mayor and um, we secured a commitment from eric adams of 4 billion uh in capital and annually so that's doubling capital investment in affordable housing and we really look forward to working with the new administration on a housing plan
0: great and i want to come back to that that housing plan that um, eric adams has expressed support for in a minute John Sanchez, uh, say a little bit about how you assess the housing picture in New York city and some of the, uh, highlights and lowlights, so to speak of, of where things stand right now, as we speak,
1: I think we're at an inflection point right now. It's important for people to realize that much of the New York city that we know and love was built in the 1960s and beforehand. And we haven't, um, We haven't thought of how to rebuild the next New York City for the next 10 to 20 years. Um, We have cities such as Houston, Seattle, Austin. They're building more housing per 1,000 residents than we do. And as we see, we have nearly 50,000 people in the homeless shelter system. 15,000 of them are school-aged children. And we need to do much better. We're the largest city in the country. We need to embrace that. And continue that trend. Those are the, some of the lowlights the highlights is that we may have a new dawn and a new day. I think some of the rezoning such as Soho and Gowanus are encouraging to show that all neighborhoods in the city have to do their fair share, whether they're middle income low income or wealthy.
0: Now, John, Open New York, where you're a board member, say a little bit about what the organization does um, and what what your goals are. I'm sure many New Yorkers understand the challenge
1: of finding an apartment, whether they're moving here for the first time or leaving their parents' home. And Open New York, we advocate for a city that has abundant housing for people of all incomes. People from across the country of the world can come to New York, find an affordable place to live or people that want to move apartments in New York can have availability in neighborhoods throughout the city. And that's what we advocate for, more housing and for people to be able to have the opportunity to live here, stay here and raise their families and not leave because they can't find anything available.
0: Now, Rachel, in terms of uh, your point of view, um, you obviously have a focus on public housing and and other affordable housing. You know, Nycha, of course, should be uh, always discussed as part of the affordable housing picture in New York City. Often, sort of siloed off on its own. Um, part of the debate, and this is where you know a little bit uh, Open New York and others, you know, come in, is is saying. New York City has not kept pace with housing development related to population, related to job growth, uh, some of the points that John just made. And, you know, we've seen in the de Blasio years, um, you know, an affordable housing plan that has sort of tried to move ahead on a combination of market rate development, affordable development, the implementation of mandatory inclusionary housing, which requires some percentage of affordable housing in new development that gets uh, up zoned. Um, how do you see that picture in terms of this vantage point that some have, which is like New York City just needs to build a lot more housing of all kinds? Um, is that the right way to think about it from your perspective? Or is that uh, a problematic lens to take?
2: So I think first, we have to preserve what we have, right? And if we are not preserving each and every unit of public housing. We are never going to really make progress on affordability for New Yorkers. Um, we can't afford to u- lose any of those um, units to deteriorating conditions. So I think that's the first point. Um, and kind of like on a parallel track, we do need to be building more. And John is absolutely right. Um, we need every Neighborhood to be part of um, a citywide affordable housing plan. We have citywide needs. And um, that has to be part of it as well, a building to meet the need. So, um, you know, I agree. And I think Open New York has done an amazing job of really being very clear about um, being pro-housing. And I think that they take a really smart approach as well of pushing more housing where it's really out of reach for New Yorkers right now, like these upzonings we're looking at in Gowanus and Soho. Mm-hmm.
0: And say a little bit more about um, about the the United for Housing uh, plan and what it could mean if the next mayor Eric Adams and and other partners that need to buy in uh, buy in and move it ahead. What does that mean now? You know, part of that obviously is a, a additional commitment to city capital funds into NYCHA repairs still, um, you know, NYCHA still would be obviously in need of a huge influx of dollars that just about everybody's hoping will come from the federal government, at least in large part. Um, but what would this plan mean if if executed by the Adams administration and, and necessary partners?
2: So, I mean, we really have to see what happens in Washington, but it could be that Mayor Adams uh, or, uh, you know, that uh, mayor elect is the first mayor coming in with real resources from Washington on both homelessness, public housing, housing and resources to expand housing supply. So I think it matters very much what happens with the Build Back Better Act, and then kind of what sort of tools he has from Washington to to really make a dent in the housing crisis. I think the other thing we have to look for is what sort of relationship and what kind of partnership he has with Governor Hochul. Right. We saw that um, that relationship can really have a negative impact on what can be done together. So um, I think that those are two things that can really um, be a big game changer for New York City's next housing plan. And then in terms of what United for Housing is looking for, you know, I think the first thing we want to see is really um, that budget commitment in the mayor's budget, right? That's coming up end of January, early February. And we want to see that $4 billion in capital. And, you know, this is really the time to invest. Um, The second thing is, you know, I don't think we need a housing plan like in the first hundred days. I think that there should be a thoughtful process for establishing a housing plan, engaging with communities, um, making the city council, new city council part of the housing plan, um, really getting there. Cooperation as well, and really being thoughtful about how we want to invest these dollars and be strategic um, to create more housing opportunity, and I think really improve um, equity in New York.
0: So obviously, anyone listening can can look at the the plan for themselves. There's a lot to it. I mentioned uh, a significant, you know, annual investment in, in NYCHA, uh that that ideally the plan has. Uh, Matched by New York State, as we ha- are both saying, uh, a lot of questions about what will come from the federal government, and there's some major opportunities on the table there. But then you have this um, $2.5 billion in annual investment into affordable housing, rental, and home ownership opportunities, expanding housing supply. Um, say a little bit more about that. What does that look like uh, for you? Is that working with affordable housing developers to make uh to develop a lot more um 100% affordable buildings and where how, how does that work
2: So, you know, we leave some of this open. We certainly have um a host of policy recommendations in our report. Um and we want, you know, that that commitment of capital and then we're also looking for um minimum targets on Production of housing affordable to very low income households. And we think that that is really important to get um, community buy in, but also meet the need where our need is greatest. So, you know, more supportive housing, for example, is really critical to solving homelessness and should be also a central part of our housing plan. So, and then affordable home ownership, I think, is, you know, a missing piece of the puzzle that we haven't really seen addressed in the last housing plan, and we have also seen um, a decline in New York City's um, Black home ownership rate um, since the crisis in 2008. So there are things we can be doing today to rectify that, and we want to see that in the next plan. And so, you- Go ahead. Yeah, no, just two things I'd like to touch on, um, you know, on the campaign trail, you um, Mayor-elect Adams talked a lot about um, upzoning high opportunity neighborhoods. And, you know, I think that this is Something we'd love to see politically. It's not easy, but you know, I think that would be great if he comes into office and is really evaluating with his Department of City Planning where are those opportunities and start to identify them. Um, the other, you know, public commitment he's made is around hotel conversions, and I think it's a really um, tricky one <laughs> to to work out. But I do think that there's opportunity to work with Governor Hochul um, and get some kind of quicker relief on zoning that, you know, using state powers instead of going through a lengthy local process. So that's like another another area for potential cooperation.
0: Very interesting. And I can hear John Sanchez smiling at at least the first point there and probably both. Um, I just want to say before we come to John again. One of your other core principles in the United for Housing uh, plan is reducing homelessness by coordinating housing and homeless policy better. And that's clearly been one of the problems throughout the de Blasio administration. And one of the things that many groups and experts are looking for Mayor Eric Adams, when he takes office, to uh, better coordinate housing and homelessness policies. Uh, You know, for example, a lot of calls to just sort of rethink uh how homeless policy and housing policy is even is even considered in city government and you know for example not having two different deputy mayors who oversee those two topics um so maybe we'll have a little more time on that uh later in this conversation john jump in on some of what you've heard rachel say and some of this discussion around how the city could better use zoning uh, around this idea of uh, Mayor Eric Adams coming in and trying to uh, move through some, with community buy-in, he stressed, move through some upzonings in wealthier areas. We've just started to see a couple of those pass in the, in the final days of the de Blasio administration. But um, say a little bit more about what you think should happen here in the city as a new mayor comes in and tries to use the city's Uh, many tools uh, to create more housing. I'm glad that we touched on zoning because
1: it's important for people to realize that most of what is allowed to be built and not built is based on a 1961 zoning resolution. We have a zoning code that is 60 years old that governs much of what can and can't be built. And it has roots in exclusion and segregation, In an ideal world, we would have a brand new zoning resolution to plan for the next 20 to 30 years of New York City, where we're going to have a population of 10 million New Yorkers. How do we prepare for that? Not only on the housing side, but the public transit side and the infrastructure side. We know we're going to have 10 million New Yorkers in this city in the next 15 to 20 years. How do we prepare for it? And I think having a less restrictive zoning code throughout the city is crucial because. Yes, we'll have some successes in neighborhoods, but a neighborhood by neighborhood process, which can take 18 to 24 months, is not sustainable if you're looking through a citywide lens. And taking a bigger picture with some of the work that Rachel's doing, it can't just fall on New York City. We need a regional housing plan, we need Long Island, Westchester and other parts of their state to do their fair share when it comes to housing. Um, I think it's important that we look at this through a state and city lens and think, how many people do we want in the state in the next 10 to 20 years and the city? And also when you're talking about the politics, we lost a congressional seat. Well, if New York, if elected officials want us to gain congressional representation, it would be important for us to increase our population
0: Talk a little bit more, uh, John, about some of the the politics and the pushback here. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of conversation. I've been having this, these conversations with the candidates for city council speaker because obviously, so much um, uh, of what happens in the council, you know, there's a lot of debates around land use matters and issues around what's called member deference, where the city council defers to the local member about development projects in their districts almost all the time um, you know, and, and, questions around, uh, how to, you know, think about citywide needs, uh, versus, you know, how to, how much to weigh very hyper-local opposition to projects where, you know, very often certain people who are already in communities don't want a lot of development coming in. Um, how do you, how do you foresee, uh, you know, Mayor Eric Adams coming in and making progress on these fronts? What, um you know what sort of tools need to be accessed and what kind of message do you think needs to be put forward the message has to be
1: urgency you can't solve a housing crisis without providing housing and i also think that a local um deference starting at the community board level to a point has to be ignored because the the crisis is so urgent um for example, for the past 10 years, there's 59 community boards across the city. 10 of those community boards account for half of all of the new housing that's been built in this city. That is an unsustainable process that is going on. Imagine if each community board in the city did their fair share of providing, providing housing. And what we're seeing now is that sometimes housing development gets bogged down on the micro local level, and that will Cause the state to get involved. We see that happening in California right now, where they're designating here's how much housing each city needs to provide. And there's legislative proposals to provide carrots and sticks to provide more housing. But if people are truly outraged about homelessness and children not having stable housing while they attend school, the time of relying on an 18 to 24 month Euler process is over. We need to think bigger picture and think, how can we have 10 million New Yorkers live in this city? We had urgency during the great depression. We built nearly 800,000 units of housing in a decade. Now we're building about a sixth of that level. One would think that a pandemic would instill that sense of urgency when we wanna rebuild our city and make it even bigger and better.
0: How do, you, how do you do that? How do you avoid, avoid the long drawn out Euler processes? How do you make sure that you're getting community input but you're advancing things on a bolder, bigger, faster timeline? Do you, do you and, and the folks at Open New York or anyone else you, you know have a vision for that? Well, is that rewriting is that really is that a big rewriting of the city zoning? Or is, is there another mechanism? Is it using more state, out working with the state for more general pro- project plans, or you know, are there what what would that look like? I think it's a combination.
1: Mm-hmm. I think having the state involved would be great because, unfortunately, there are some local entrenched interests that entr- interests that do not want more housing to be built. We've seen this where. Wealthy condo owners on 57th Street sued to prevent a homeless shelter from being built. We even see this with the Soho plan where, where lawsuits were filled. We need to, you know, getting the state involved will be important to preempt that process. Um, I think bigger picture, I think all of the incoming council members have to think and say, all right, I understand the, the shortage in my district. I understand that people are paying 50 to 60% of their income. How many more people do I think can live in the neighborhood and how many units of housing are needed to fulfill that desire? Um, But eventually when you're in government, you have to realize that you have to make a decision. There will be controversy no matter where you want to build housing, but there has to be more outrage about people living on the street. And I think that trumps neighborhood concerns about damaging neighborhood character, or dealing with shadows, or not wanting to live near poor people.
0: Interesting. Um, Rachel, feel free to jump in on anything you heard there that you want to agree, disagree with, add to. Um, And I'm also curious, uh, as you jump in to Get your take on the question. You know, you, you focus a good bit on public housing, um, this question of developing new housing on NYCHA land, sometimes called infill development. Um, where you see that conversation, and, you know, questions around whether that is a tool that's, you know, really been underutilized in the toolbox, um, understanding. NYCHA residents and and others at times have raised a lot of concerns about that question of new housing development on NYCHA land um, and questions around, you know, whether that and other things that NYCHA has either been doing or considering would, you know, lead to more displacement of NYCHA tenants. Um, Eric Adams, the incoming mayor, has expressed openness to development on, on NYCHA land of new housing, but he's you know, also recognize some concerns about that. You know, he's sort of floated some different ideas about how to potentially make it work, but it doesn't seem like it's something that he's going to prioritize, at least at least at this point, we'll see what his actual plans look like once he's in office. Um, but anyway, what do, you, what do you think about what some of John said and, and, and that question as well?
2: So I think John is um, spot on that we need kind of all the tools we can get our hands on to uh, address the crisis. Um, And and I think it's really smart to think about, um, you know, citywide zoning action, leveraging the state where we can, and really trying to make every community part of the next housing plan. I also think it's going to start with leadership at City Hall. So, you had mentioned earlier, um, advocates calling for a deputy mayor that will oversee both housing and homelessness. I think that's essential and, you know, really coordinated policy on housing investment across NYCHA across our um, Department of Housing Preservation and Development that leads on the housing plan. And then also coordination with Department of Homeless Services and and making sure that there are there is access in the housing plan to um, affordable and supportive housing. Um, I think on NYCHA, especially around infill, um, like you said, the the mayor elect is suggesting he'll wait on that. I think that would be a smart (laughs) approach. Um, I, I think the first priority should really be hopefully we get Build Back Better, but repairing um, the units that need investment in NYCHA's current portfolio. I do think there's certainly um, opportunity for building affordable housing on NYCHA land, but I think we need a much better process for residents to be part of um, site design, of, you know, saying that they. Um, what what they want on those siting opportunities um you know maybe there is a need for senior housing with um, the aging population maybe there are opportunities for affordable home ownership that residents would be interested in so I think you know we can't rule it out but I would say we need a good process to get there
0: some some people have called for you know making sure that any of those Projects go through the uh, the city's land use process. You lerp. Um, I believe Eric Adams is among those who's floated the idea of, of you build some new housing on NYCHA land. You move current NYCHA tenants who want to into the brand new housing, freeing up you know Niche spots for uh, people on the wait list, or you know that way you can right size uh, households and apartment sizes, which we know is often a problem when. When, you know, older people wind up in apartments that have three bedrooms and they're living alone or just with a, a spouse or, you know, that type of thing. But, you know, again, like I said, these have been sort of more offhand comments from the mayor elect during forums and things like that. And we need to see exactly um, where where he might go on that. And and so much, as you said, will hinge on what really comes through from the from the federal level.
2: Um, and I just add on that, you know, is- we just saw a process in the Chelsea Working Group where, NYCHA residents said, you know, no to a massive redevelopment plan, but they said yes to a modified version. And they also uh, formed a committee and issued an RFP and selected the development team and have really outlined their priorities for the scope of work and what they want to see in the development of those sites. So, you know, I think there has to be much better engagement and just very clear um, ways for NYCHA residents to have a seat at the table in, you know, giving input on what's going to happen. So I think that Mayor Adams gets that. And I really expect that that is going to be part of his strategy.
0: John, there's going back to one of the things we were discussing earlier, there's been a bunch of push for this idea of comprehensive planning, um, which may you know, if it was done and done well, it could, you know, help, um, you know, create a citywide vision that gets back to your point about, you know, every community doing its fair share on a number of different fronts, not just housing. There's also a lot of concerns about how to do that, how to do it quickly enough, how to get enough feedback, but not have things mired in, you know, local process loops and and such. Um, I'm wondering what you and and open New York perhaps think about the idea of the city doing some sort of comprehensive planning. Uh, but I'm also wondering the, the Gowanus neighborhood plan that just passed, you know, you were talking about 18, 24 month, uh, Euler processes. I mean, Gowanus was like a 10 year process to get to the final deal. Obviously that wasn't all the Euler process, but is the Gowanus neighborhood plan something of a model, uh, Obviously, every neighborhood is different. Gowanus is is you know working with a bunch of industrial space and the and the canal zone, and there's all sorts of different things in different places. But is what happened there something of a model as far as you're concerned? And what do you think about the idea of uh, the city in some way trying to do more comprehensive planning? Eric Adams, I believe, has said something about giving every community board a certain target of of housing units they need to figure out where to where to put. Um, you know, that's kind of, uh, uh, again, more of an offhanded idea than a real plan. Uh, but what do you think about some of that?
1: I think what uh, Mayor Elect Adams is saying is good. That's a good approach to do it. Each community board should be providing housing. And if the city is willing to allocate funds to make that happen, I think that's a brilliant idea because it shows that each community board has to be responsible for it. Now, when it comes to comprehensive planning, we support comprehensive planning if it has teeth behind it. We don't want comprehensive planning to be comprehensive delay where more housing doesn't get built. But if there are specific targets and metrics for housing, as well as school seats and public infrastructure, uh, expanded train capacity, bus capacity, I think that's what a sensible city does. Many cities across the country and the world have this type of comprehensive planning and New York City does not have that right now. So now what we have is we have a 51 district house housing land use policy where each council member kind of is figuring it out. And it applies to something as simple as installing a bike lane. It's not sustainable. And I think we support comprehensive planning there's seeds behind it and as well as there's clear metrics that we're measuring against. So that way, at the end of the next decade, we can say, here's how we did in these specific areas. Here's how much housing we created. Here's how much expanded transit capacity we created. Here's how many schools and parks we created. That's how you have clear metrics rather than vague announcements or pronouncements of more affordable housing or more schools. It has to be specific.
0: Otherwise, it's just a dream. Mm -hmm. And uh, to this um, point, uh, well, what do you think about Gowanus as, a, as something of a model? Um, and, you know, this and the Soho plan seemingly moving forward here in the final months of the de Blasio years, previously, uh, all the neighborhood plans and rezonings that dealt with housing were basically all in lower income areas, communities of color, um, areas in many cases, that could use more housing, more affordable housing, new housing. Uh, could use the infrastructure investments that often come as part of those deals. Um, but that has been something that a lot of people have pointed to as as misguided. But the De Blasio administration has often said we've been working with council members who want to work with us on these neighborhood plans, and we've uh, we had a different list, but we didn't get buy in from from the local members. Um, so I'm wondering if you see Gowanus and Soho as the models and, you know, if there's any sort of um, wisdom that we've we've learned over these last eight years about how to do this stuff better. Well, I think it's important that now we're seeing elected officials are aligning their
1: votes with their rhetoric when it comes to racial and economic justice. I think Gowanus and Soho were great first steps. I think they can be a model in the sense that wealthier neighborhoods near transit, are providing more housing. I mean, the Gowanus rezoning will create about 8,500 homes, which is more than what several neighborhoods have done in the past two decades. And also the investments in NYCHA that came out of that when it comes to Soho. I mean, I lived in Soho back when I was a college student, and I remember being a real estate agent seeing apartments that were way out of my price range. But the fact that now people that you know potentially live in the Bronx can have the opportunity to live there. I think that's a right approach. My concern is that the neighborhood by neighborhood approach just is not fast enough. You mentioned Gowanus took several years. The Soho plan initially came out in 2019. We had the pandemic. Luckily, it was a a plan that was good when it came out, but it just took so long. And then I'm not even accounting for the time of construction, which can be another two to three years, depending on permitting. So I think they are great models, but if we're thinking long-term, it has to be on a citywide and statewide basis because the urgency is so great. And if an elected official is truly concerned about homelessness, we need to act quicker. We need to have the same urgency we had during the pandemic when we were doing food distributions and, and providing rental aid. We need to have that same urgency when it comes to dealing with this crisis.
0: Rachel, I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm speaking here we're in our last few minutes with Rachel Fee, Executive Director of New York Housing Conference, and John Sanchez, who's a board member of Open New York. He's also the District Manager of Bronx Community Board 6. Um, John, I want to come back to you in a minute about the challenge where uh, there's a lot of pushback on the sort of glut of luxury development, and if there's anything to do about that, if you you know want to open the floodgates more to more housing development to create housing for all people, you know, for people of all sorts of incomes and backgrounds and family sizes and and so on, um, if there's anything to be done about the kind of um, you know. Way that in, in many wealthier areas it can wind up being lots of really high end units, and then the mandatory inclusionary housing, you know, twenty five percent that has some, uh, you know, income uh, affordability. If there's anything more to be done about that, let me come back to you in a second. But Rachel, anything you want to say about sort of the models of Gowanus of of Soho and and sort of some of these uh, lessons of the De Blasio years that we may or may not have seen?
2: Yeah, I think that John is right that we need to address this with urgency. Um, But I also think some of these things are just going to take time. So, anything we can do on a citywide basis to ease regulations, to encourage the development of more housing, we are definitely supportive of. Um, But I do think a process of engagement like we saw in Gowanus was a really remarkable one. It was very thoughtful. Um, It took a long time, but I think. it it yielded really great results. So I do think it's one that we can replicate in other communities. Um, I just want to go back to John's point on the urgency. Um, January 15th is the end of our state eviction moratorium. And we have nearly 600,000 New Yorkers who are behind on their rent. Um, And, you know, I think, that this crisis is, hasn't totally revealed itself yet because we've been on this pause with evictions because of COVID. Um, But I think when Eric Adams comes into office, he's really gonna be faced with that urgency, right? In his first two weeks. So, um, you know, John is right that we really need to use every tool in the toolbox and face this with urgency.
0: And, you know, and Rachel, I want to come back to you for a final word on this push for a state plan uh, that New York Housing Conference is, has just launched. Um, and you said you, you know, think Governor Hochul will be coming out with her, her own housing policy in the new year as she presents her state of the state and her executive budget, which could be her only of those if she doesn't win win the election. Uh, but uh, she'll be obviously using both of those opportunities to uh, to try to advance her uh, standing with New Yorkers. But um I want to come back to you in a second, for there, John, um, how do you how do you think about this question? You know, uh, again, sometimes people I think use this as a red herring, where they say they're against you know development, they're against neighborhood rezonings because it'll just lead to lots of uh, luxury housing. But then there's also something very real to that, right? Um, how do you think about that and combat that?
1: This is a great question because just this week I came across CHPC, the Citizens Housing Planning Council. They have a nice feature on their website that's called Inside the Rent. And it's a game where you try to create a building with the rent that you can afford. And there is little city-owned land left. Many housing development projects just will not pencil out financially if there is isn't substantial subsidy, whether it be tax subsidy, land subsidy, or construction subsidy. And oftentimes the higher rent apartments will subsidize the affordable units. So it really comes down to the finances. Will a bank underwrite a mortgage for a development that only has $800 rents? If the answer to that, to that is no, then we need to have higher rent units in that building to get it built in the first place. Um, I think often it is used as a red herring. People will say that it's it's not affordable or affordable for who? But the fact that we have a 3% vacancy rate in our city shows that people can afford, people are affording a specific rent. Otherwise we'd have a ton of empty apartments in our city, which we don't have. But it really comes down to the financing. Now I think bigger picture, you know, could we have a situation where the state and city are issuing more bonds to finance, more construction. That's something that other countries do around the world. I think that's something that we would be supportive of the push for social housing, as they call it. Um, I think that's important. But if private development wants to persist, um, the numbers have to make sense. And that will entail higher rents in some some cases. But those higher rents can subsidize the lower cost rents.
2: I think the other thing to remember is Um, The 2019 rent laws gave New Yorkers real protection. So I think when we look at um, the next set of upzonings, um, we are in a much stronger position with um, those rent laws on the books.
1: And I think another thing, you know, we've been talking a lot about supply, but, you know, any country that has an effective housing policy they couple housing construction with rental assistance. And we need an expansion of rental assistance vouchers on the state, city, and federal level because for some people, $800 a month in rent will always be too much for them. In that sense, we need to have a thriving rental assistance voucher system that can cover the cost between what they can afford and what the rent is. And we don't see that on a sustained
0: basis in New York to the level that we need it. Interesting. There's, um, yeah, there, there's there's so many more pieces to the policy puzzle to get into here. Um, we're we're going to have to leave that part of the discussion there. Rachel, on the state level, uh, a little bit about what you're looking to see and the suggestions that the New York Housing Conference is making for Governor Hochul.
2: So we are looking for um, a $6 billion investment over the next five years. That's more than doubling what the state has done in the last housing plan. And we think the urgent need that we've described today, um, you know, really backs up that investment. And um, we are working in a coalition with partners from across the state. We have rural housing advocates. We have advocates of affordable home ownership um, and uh, affordable housing and supportive housing advocates, Um, really a wide range of um, partners that put together this report, identifying statewide housing needs and some of the policy recommendations we'd like to see Governor Hochul adopt.
0: And what are some of the big buckets that funding like that goes into? Is it uh, subsidizing affordable housing development? Um, Where does does that call for additional state funding um, lead?
2: (laughs) So, we are certainly looking for the state to um, subsidize affordable housing development, expand their investment in supportive housing, and also um, really launch a strong home ownership program um, that we haven't really seen. Um, you know, the state get involved in on the production side. So we really wanna see um, home ownership be a piece of that as well. And then, you know, we're watching what happens in Washington if Bill, the Build Back Better Act does not pass, we are gonna be asking for $13 billion and we're gonna be asking for the city and state to be pitching in each year to fund NYCHA at 1.5 billion each um, and, and really have a coordinated plan to get those repairs done. Interesting. All
0: right, John, I got one more tough question for you before we say goodbye here. Um, You know, one of the things that comes up over and over again is this question of uh, neighborhood character. Right. Uh, Again, sometimes sometimes a red herring from people very often genuine where people say, you know, me, my family, our community, people have been in this neighborhood for many years, many decades. There's been some, there's been development there, you know, there, there's been how, new housing, but we aren't looking for massive change to our neighborhood over the next five to 10 years. Um, you know, we're not against affordable housing. There's been, you know, new development in our area, but we live in this neighborhood and we don't want to see, you know, huge, massive change to it, um, you know, in, in a short period of time. What? How do you? Um, how do you respond to that? Because that that often is where a lot of this discussion winds up hitting some very tricky uh, roadblocks, uh, especially in the in the current system. The data is is fairly clear in terms of New York City not producing housing to keep up with population and job growth and so on. Um, but but a lot of times this does come back to neighborhoods and local decisions. I think the pro housing. Movement is great in the sense
1: that it unites people from all backgrounds, racial, economic and geographic. And New York's character comes from the idea that people from around the world and across the country journey here in search of better opportunities to open businesses and raise their families. It also comes from the idea that New York City is always changing demographically and the lived environment. And New York's greatness doesn't come from architectural details. It doesn't come from de facto segregation. So we won't ever be able to satisfy everyone, but New York's character, New York's history is one of change. We need to embrace that. New York's history is one of growth and we need to embrace that.
0: All right. You get the final word there. Uh, That's John Sanchez, district manager, Bronx community board six, and a board member of open New York. Also joining me, Rachel Fee, Executive Director of the New York Housing Conference. Rachel, thanks very much. John, thanks very much for taking the time. And uh, and we will be in touch as we see the Adams administration unfold and what Governor Hochul has in store in 2022 and uh, what comes, of course, from the federal government. Uh, but thank you both for taking the time.
2: Thanks, Ben. Thank
0: you.